Thanks for listening and enjoy RFB. This is what Brooklyn sounds like. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And you know me, I'm I'm Dr. Lisa, the self-proclaimed psychotherapist with no boundaries. Uh, you know, I have no formal training. We know all that, right? I don't have to go through that. Uh, but thank you for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, it um, Here's what, it, what I'm supposed to say. Thanks for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Your support keeps us going. Your support does keep us going. We really need you to, we need you. We need you. We appreciate you. We love you. This is a really great uh, community radio station. It's an all-volunteer station, and in order to keep the lights on, we really do honestly need you. And we do we do so much. You know, we do a lot for the community, and we have so much great programming. And I I, I implore you to take an interest in our station, RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. And, and if you can, donate some money, because I know you need that tax write-off. Okay. Anyway, today is a very, very exciting day for me because I have one of my favorite, favorite people, favorite artists, Colin, Colin J. Radcliffe. Um, I'm going to see if I can, I can't sum up Colin really, really quickly, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the vibe of Colin and then I'm going to uh, tell you about some of his accomplishments. And then we're going to talk about his Solo exhibition, which I'm going to tell you about. I mean, this is very, very important, okay? Because Colin has a solo exhibition up right now, right, right at this moment, at the Java Space, two fifty two, uh, two fifty two Java Street. Two. What am I talking about? Two fifty two Java Street, Brooklyn, in Greenpoint. Okay, and it's only up till March 31st. And his work is hilarious, beautiful, smart, intimate, personal. I could go on, but it's also incredibly accessible. So it's color, like, there's so much to love about the work. Like, you don't have to know anything about art, you can know a lot about art. It's very accessible work, and it's actually, um, Colin is really a man, a man, I shouldn't say that, a person of the moment, and his work is of the moment, and uh, I implore you to go see it. I'm going to get all my gen, look, I'm old, I know, I've tried to, like, do the best, I do the best I can, I may get my gender screwed up, forgive, forgive me in advance, forgive me in advance. So I met uh, Colin, I don't know, I've known him quite a while now, uh, probably more than five years. And when I first met Colin, he was a, okay, so I followed Colin for a while, and he's like a full professional artist now. But when when I first met him, he was already doing really interesting work. But I had my eye on him because I was like, this guy's got it going on, and he's going places. And one one of the reasons Colin is such a great artist is because he's all in on it. There is no, there is no, there, there is, he's completely dedicated to his work. 
Colin, actually, when I first met Colin, I kid you not, he was living in a closet. I'm not kidding you. So he could afford to make his art and, you know, he had a job. Um, I'm going to let him explain the new work and all that. Um, I think I'm going to let him explain it because it'll take me a long time and I may not get it right. Um, Colin, hello. Hello. Um, do you want to, do you want to give us, um, move, move the mic a little closer to your mouth. Uh, do you want, I could read something or do you want to just give us like a really quick overview of your work? How's that? Sure. I could do that. So I primarily work in ceramic sculpture, uh, using porcelain and I make work about my own life and my relationships and focusing on intimacy and vulnerability, uh, love, sex, friendship, and specifically use porcelain and work in ceramics because uh, clay kind of has a memory to it and very tactile. So for me, when I'm making work, it's the same hands that caressed a lover or sent an intimate text message and then you're imprinting those experiences and those memories and feelings into the clay. Okay, I'm going to interrupt you one second. I want you guys to picture this. These are, I'm going to say, almost cartoon-like figures. And they're all um, lovers uh, interacting in in intimate and humorous ways, right? So Colin's talking about actually uh, making clay humans or human like objects, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, a lot of the work is based off of photographs or videos I've taken of myself or lovers or us together. Um, and some of them are friends too. And they're very childlike and very playful, very colorful, uh, but also very mature at the same time. Mm-hmm. And when you say mature, you mean because they're sexually explicit or that's Often, part of yeah, it? Yeah, that's part of it. But also, it's com- I think that the relationships are complicated that you're, that you're sort of representing. I mean, everybody, we're having a fire out here. Uh, everybody um, can, you know, you can make, you can read into them however you want, but there's definitely, they're definitely talk about like dating and getting to know somebody. Um, Colin also makes all sorts of things, including con, they, they have type on them. They say funny things. I was looking for my phone because I actually have a photograph. I'm a collector. I'm a collector of Collins. And one one of the bodies of work that Colin makes that is really hilarious and fabulous and is a good example of this is he makes uh, these porcelain clay cell phones. So they all have like text threads on them. And you can really gain a lot about the relation. They're very intimate text threads. So I'll just read you the one that I have. It says, so it's a, Clay, funny, charactery, um, very beautifully made cell phone. And the screen says, I'm sorry if I did anything, but fuck this. Next line, next bubble. Everything okay? Next bubble. Are you busy or hanging with someone else? Next bubble. Your silence is making my mind go crazy. Next bubble. 
you can't you can tell me if you're busy or not interested. And the last one is I'm depressed, I will miss you. So I think I think that'll give you an idea of the of the stories that uh Colin unravels in his work. Um I'm trying to see if there's anything else that I can tell you. Um, he talks about hookup culture in this recent interview. He had, there's a great interview with him, Thirst Trap Art Show, and uh, a lens into contemporary queer dating from the Green Pointer. And he talks about hookup culture is the desire to really know someone before commitment, and dating is as much about getting to know someone else as it is getting to know yourself. So a thirst trap is an expression of hookup culture. It's a tool in the pursuit of intimacy in an increasingly digital world. So can you talk about a little bit like what your idea is about meeting people and dating people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess with this particular body of work, it's a big reflection of how I think and feel about hookup culture and, and online dating today. And I kind of, I have the impression that um, hookup culture is viewed as very reckless, especially by older generations. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about it, it's, it's very normal for young people to hook up and, and not mm-hmm. get married. Yeah. Um, I realize it's not so much about recklessness. It's more about caution you want to really get to know someone before you make a commitment to something. Um, and also started to think about what flirtation is and flirting. And that's just flirting has been around forever and it's a very easy way to be vulnerable without as much risk because you're giving someone else the opportunity to show that they like you show that they're interested and a thirst trap is essentially the same thing. It's just a new type of flirting. So I think flirting kind of has a, uh, or thirst traps kind of have a bad rap like hookup culture. It's seen as shallow or uh, the person has a need for validation. But it's really about looking for intimacy. So I think thirst traps and hookup culture are actually very positive. Mm-hmm. And just extensions of flirting. And um, are thirst traps different from dating? I mean, I mean, a thirst or, or hookup cultures, hookup culture. Thirst trap is the umbrella, but a hookup culture is that different than dating? I think they are different, but they're very entwined, mm-hmm. uh, especially for younger people. It's it's more acceptable or expected that you'll go on dates with many people in a short period of time. And a relationship doesn't form until you've been on many dates over a longer period of time with someone. Right, right. But a hookup and a date, are very, how are they different? I mean, okay, go ahead. Sure. Uh, so hookup culture, there's an expectation that you're going to have sex okay. or some kind of intimacy with someone, but not always. That's not always the, always the case. And dating, the initial expectation is more formal or more traditional. Mm-hmm. You'll go out to dinner or have a picnic or something, go to a museum. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of just two different ways into the same kind of... Yeah, two roads that go the same direction. Direction. One is 
you have to spend time with the person before you have sex, and the other is much more efficient. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So depending on your lifestyle, a lot of people are really busy. Do you think that uh, older people like me, not me, but older people are judgmental about sex, like that, that, um, like hooking up is, is, we can all see that for what it is, but do you think that older people are critical about it and judgmental about it? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I, I think the environment or the culture at the time that people were coming of age is, is different, changes over time. Of course. So for older generations, uh, things were, at least from today's standpoint, more traditional or more traditionally focused. Mm-hmm. So there was an expectation you meet someone and probably get married in your early 20s, more or less. Well, okay. No, I mean, not, I'm like, not necessarily, I got but, married at 54, so I'm not a good example. <laughs> so I'm having, you know, a feeling. That's all. Go ahead. Um, I mean, there's lots of studies about yeah, sure. how marriage, the age keeps getting pushed back and pushed mm-hmm. back. And part of that's economic. And the other part, I think, is because of the internet. We have so many options. It's so easy to meet so many people. Um, and I think people are less focused on having or attaining that goal of a marriage or a significant relationship or other traditional adult accomplishments like buying a house and things like that. Mm-hmm. We're more focused on sussing everything out and seeing what all our options are because we have so many Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And maybe you just want to make a smarter choice. Also, um, people live a lot longer. Like the idea of spending 50 years with somebody sounds like hell to me, frankly. <laughs> I mean, um, but, the, you know, so why not make it later where you're more evolved and more who you who you are on your own? I think that's a I mean, I'm all for that. But I can see I can see how my my generation would would be critical or judgmental. Um, Another thing is that like in my day, like if you slept with a guy, if I slept with somebody, you'd sort of expect them to call you. Hmm. And I think that's, and it was never very realistic anyway. I think in hetero society, like the guys probably, you know, just biology, the guys wanted, you know, wanted more freedom and the girls were like, I'm going to nail this guy down. And I think that that it's just more honest now, actually. Mm. I think I think it has to be because things are more transparent. You can see everything that people are doing online. And right. even though that is a version people project, um, you can still see whose posts they're commenting on, who's following who, mm-hmm. all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, another thing that um, I wanted to talk to you about you and I have talked about this a little personally, but I wanted to talk to you about, um, okay, I'm just going to read this other line from your statement. My work is autobiographical, focusing on experiences of love, sex, and intimacy in the context of both queer digital space and the pursuit of relationships obstructed by a chronically diseased body. And I just want to tell you guys listening that um, Colin is like amazing looking, incredible style, just a beautiful, beautiful human being with these huge black eyes and like 
a sinewy body that looks great in clothes. So when you meet Colin, this guy look, does not look like you would never think that there's a that he has any kind of illness whatsoever. Uh, it's not like an apparent thing. So I'm curious about. I thought you know it'd be good to talk about like how how you handle that and how people perceive it and how it's affected you because I imagine that having a chronic illness would give you a heightened awareness of your body and your relationship to it. And I wanted to hear about that from you. Yeah, absolutely. So right around the age of 21, I got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is an autoimmune disease. Um, and it's also the first kind of time that I was starting to think about dating. I was about to graduate from college mm -hmm. and felt very shut down. So I had to navigate my body and my health. And that took several years to get to a point where I mm -hmm. was feeling good all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. um, in particular, this disease can make sex a little bit more difficult for queer people. Mm -hmm. So that was another challenge to figure mm -hmm. out and navigate. Um, yeah, but I think... It definitely changed my relationship to my body and my sensitivity to other people's mm -hmm. um, and ultimately made me, I think, much more accepting of myself. Mm -hmm. So did you were you aware that you were queer or were you comfortable being queer before you were diagnosed? I knew since a, a pretty young age that I was not straight, mm -hmm. um, but didn't really have the language or terminology mm -hmm. or anything in the media for me to grapple yeah. onto. And you didn't see yourself. Yeah, in I the didn't. Media. So I didn't right. know what, what I was or what was going on. But I knew I wasn't like everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, but by the time, um, probably sometime in middle or high school, realized okay, I like boys. Uh, didn't really feel comfortable being out. There wasn't anyone that I was interested in mm -hmm. in my school anyway. Mm -hmm. um, where where was that? Where was your school? On Long Island. In a regular suburban town, right? Yeah. Okay. Small mind, small town yeah, minded. Small, but, small yeah, small suburban. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and I knew when I went to college, part of the reason I chose the college I went to was Bard. because it was very open and accepting. Mm -hmm. um, Bard, so, it's a really good school. I also want to just... I'm sorry I'm interrupting you, but I'm also really impressed that you only you don't have an MFA. You don't feel like you have that. You've done really well. No MFAs, guy. We don't need that bullshit. Go ahead. Um, so then by the time I got to college, was kind of coming into my own. So this is not an atypical experience for queer people. Mm -hmm. Our timelines are completely different from straight people. Sure. So we kind of have two coming of age. Um, one in our teenage years where we're trying to fit into the mold of what we think we're supposed to be or what society says we should be. Mm -hmm. And then in our usually twenties, when we start doing what we actually want to do and start being ourselves, and then we have to learn everything that straight people already learned in their teens, like mm. how to date. Mm. Um, so I think getting diagnosed at that time was a little traumatizing and even stunted me compared to other queer people who are all collectively more stunted in terms of relationships and dating. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably shifting now with younger generations like Gen so. Z. But yeah. 
So um, how about your family? Did you did your family know that you were queer? Were they accepting of it? Or Yeah, I told them right before I went to college. And how did they react? Um, pretty positively. Yeah. Were, they, they, were they surprised? They were. Really? I was surprised that they were surprised. Ah. Yeah. But you feel supported by them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's all that matters, really. Um, so you would have to... So... Okay, so did you date in college or did you hook up in college or what was that like? Um, I dated someone my freshman year and did pretty badly. And then Bard is a pretty small school, so the dating pool is pretty limited. And then the longer you're there, the more common it is that your friend has dated someone that you're interested in. So then that's not really an option as much. So not too much dating. Uh-huh, uh-huh. More so after I moved to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Did you did you feel like you had a group comfortable in a group of people at Bard, or did you feel that there was still was there still an outsider thing socially or socially? Um, there were definitely different social groups that I didn't feel I belonged in as much or wasn't as welcomed. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I got along with pretty much everyone. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. So what happened when you moved to New York? I moved into a closet (laughs) (laughs) and got a studio, started working an executive assistant job, um, primarily focused on making artwork, but also trying to socialize and get around the city and meet people and started dating someone. Actually, the the piece that you bought, the phone, Mm -hmm. those text messages were from the first person I tried to date. Uh, Yeah, and I think part of our connection was he had Crohn's disease, which is essentially the same disease that I have. So there was a lot of common ground. Mm -hmm. Felt very safe, Um, but Mm -hmm. we were not a very great match. Mm -hmm. And dated a few people here and there, and then I think my most significant relationships have been in the last few years, actually during the pandemic. Mm. So who were you, like what happened during the pandemic? pandemic did that give you time to sort of slow down and really get to know a couple people because it was less frantic yeah i think a few interesting things happened so like everyone else i got laid off honestly the best thing that ever happened (laughs) yeah and i had so much time my studio was also shut down so i couldn't go produce work Mm -hmm. because you need a kiln need a kiln yeah and Almost all my friends moved. They left the city. Mm. So the city was empty. And the people that remained were not that interested in hanging out. People were Mm -hmm. very sheltered and pretty nervous. Sure. Um, But because I had so much time, I was trying to meet people and trying to socialize. I was hungrier for it. And because there were less options, things seemed more possible. Mm. Mm. Uh, So I had a few relationships for him during that time mm-hmm. a few like monogamous relationships or relationships where you saw the person what do you mean what do you mean don't let me put words in your mouth what do you mean um one relationship hadn't been defined and then tried to have a conversation and it ended try to have a conversation about about the relationship and what was going on um and, and then, it ended because they wanted more you wanted more 
part of it was I brought up things that I wasn't comfortable with uh-huh. or that I was confused about, and it made them uh, they're very avoidant. Uh. So it was too much, too much intimacy for them, and you they were too, you were ghosted. too real. Yeah. Were, oh, and they ghosted you. They oh, did. that's that's terrible. Yeah. Is that yeah. that's terrible? Uh, and then I dated someone else after for about a, a year, a little over a year. Oh. Um, we knew each other for a few months before that time, before things began to get serious. Um, and the relationship is a little complicated. We didn't have a defined title for it, but we were essentially living together. Mm. Um, and it was open, but we had a couple of rules. Like, panel yeah. those rules were broken, so that had to end. Oh, wow. Yeah. And because they broke the rules. Yeah. And you were, you were, you're this, this, so I'm admiring your bravery for making yourself vulnerable to these people. Oh, of course. I think vulnerability is a strength. I completely do. But you are really living it, and that's ballsy. Thank you. Yeah. So that person broke the rules. Good for you. And then that was it. Um, that's actually kind of funny. I dated one person after who everything seemed really great. No complaints, nothing negative. And it it turned out that they were married. Um, and Married to a, um, a queer person? or a, Yes, they okay. were separated. Um, oh, okay. So it was, they were out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but they they were struggling a lot. I think it was the first person they had met, mm. um, and it was a little too much for them. They ended up ghosting me and apologizing about a year later. Mm. Um, and then after that relationship, monkeypox started. Oh, my God. So I was like, well, I'm not going to date until I get vaccinated. And I was just a few days away from my vaccination appointment. Someone asked me out on a date. They said that they were already vaccinated. So I said, okay, this is safe to go meet this person. Had a great date. We hooked up. And they gave me monkeypox. <laughs> <laughs> so after oh that, I, I did not date anyone. You must have been so angry. Um, or I, I'm angry I I on mostly, your behalf. Yeah. I, mostly I thought it was a little funny. Like, it of is course. Oh, that's <laughs> like, good that you were able that's yeah wow. i have a good sense of humor what about, about it. resilience guys look at that resilience and uh did you confront the the person uh we talked about it and he had already gotten one vaccination so most likely what had happened was mm. because he had that vaccination he had got he had at some point right uh, after gotten it but because he had some immunity to it it wasn't there was no uh, symptoms, at least uh, nothing visible. So, were you? I hope you weren't too sick. No, I noticed a blister. Didn't know what it was. Went to the doctor, got diagnosed, and then. But you didn't get really sick, did you? No, I was able to get the antiviral. Oh, thank God! Thank God! So that was it. Um, so I'm hearing. I'm. I'm hearing. I'm hearing, then you tell me, but I'm seeing a pattern where you are open and available, which, like I just said, is, you know, a huge, huge shout out. I mean, that's awesome. But I'm also hearing uh, that there's these people are 
I'm, I don't know. The word is not reliable or disappointing, or is is that a, is that common? Is that a common pattern? Is it ever the other way around? Or like, have I broken up with people? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it it always depends on the relationship. Each one is different. Of course. So with these last three, two I had gotten ghosted, um, and one I had ended things. So. I think it just depends on the circumstances and the people involved. Mm-hmm. But we talk about resilience, so you're you don't you don't get angry or cynical or you're. Oh no, I do. <laughs> but I part of why I make artwork is because it's cathartic. So I process my experience. It's basically my therapy mm-hmm. through sculpture. So I because I'm working through all these relationships. I'm very honest when I'm making sculptures of people. Are we happy? Am I really mad at you? What do I actually think of you? And then I make those representations, get those feelings out, and then I can move on. Mm. So you kind of reward yourself for ha- going through the experience by making something really awesome. Yeah, and getting paid for it. <laughs> exactly. I wonder, you know, I wonder if, I mean, that's a funny thing. I mean, it's almost like, you're being rewarded for getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, I guess in a way. Is there a little bit of, I have to ask this, is there a little bit of masochism in there? Uh, I'm going to say no, I don't think so. Mm. Because I, I don't focus on making that up in my work. Right. I also right. make things about intimacy and love and cuddling, having mm-hmm. sex, like positive things as well as the negative. Well, they're mostly positive. Mostly, yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple and... Um, I noticed this at your show, and I noticed that you talked about it in an interview. One of the things that I thought was really touching was there was an actual photograph of you with your arms around another person, and you recreated that in in clay. Can you can you talk about that? What that was like and stuff like that? Yeah. So. During the pandemic, um, I began a relationship with this person, uh, the one who I ended up breaking things off with. And I left the country for about two months traveling. Mm. Felt like the only time I'd be able to, and I had the money. So Mm. I took the opportunity. And we texted and FaceTimed every day that I was away. Mm. Somehow being further apart made us feel closer. And then that photo was taken the morning after I got back and I didn't even realize that the photo was taken. What do you mean by that? Uh, So I had my arms around him and I had, we had a mirror on my wall and he took a photo. Oh, so that's so romantic. Yeah. Just give me the chill. (laughs) It's a very sweet moment. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Like, do you think about like relationships, what you want or if you really want one or where, where are you in that, in that, mindset right now i'm very open to them but i don't actively seek out specific types of relationships i like to let things happen organically mm-hmm. um and at this moment in time i'm it it's, i might be moving out of the country this year really yeah where uh to france because uh grad school Oh, we are going to grad school. Surprise. Well, France. Yeah. That's okay then. Where where are you thinking of going? I'm waiting to hear back from the schools, but ideally Paris. There's a school there that is really great. And what what 
is it France? Is it grad school? What What's the motivation there? A combination of things. I kind of had an like an aha moment walking down the street last fall, where I just suddenly felt like I need to go now. Like I have to go to grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had wanted to do it. Probably, I think I, I had wanted to do it earlier, but hadn't thought that seriously about it, or the urge wasn't really there. But now that I'm coming up on thirty. It's <laughs> a bit. It felt more uh-huh. uh, pressing, mm-hmm. and I taught myself French during the pandemic. That's part of what I did with my time. Holy shit! Really? So yeah. Wow. I figured now that I, I also got certified as fluent. I took the the Delph exam. Wow, that's so impressive. Thanks. Uh, so because I have that certification, and I wanted to go to grad school, and it's so much cheaper in france to get Uh, a degree oh i bet um it just made sense oh wow that is so awesome thank you that is really cool forget what i said about not going to grad school (laughs) but your your take on it is 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 you know extra special i mean you learned french Mm -hmm. and you have other like that's going to be a big experience you're not just like going to get a degree so you can like you know have a degree yeah and i i the school that i'm most interested in going to has a focus they call it international mobility mm-hmm. so they really focus on building your career internationally while you're at the school which is something i'm very interested in and i already have collectors all over the place so mm-hmm. it seems like the right move so so that's how you're sort of envisioning your career is yeah more what, international uh-huh, would have a lot of travel in it or ideally. <laughs> yeah. Is there any place in particular or like what what do you you just want to have a view of the world, like a bigger view of the world? I do. And I, I think it also ties into the work that I do because it's about relationships that are formed largely through social media and dating apps and, and hookup apps. And the world is so interconnected digitally now that it's nice to be able to see other countries and meet other people in those countries and in physical spaces and see how those two things weigh against each other. Hmm. You mean the reality of being there on the ground in person and what it feels like digitally? Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess a larger expansion of how people you interact online with someone versus in person you don't get everything from an, an online interaction that you would from talking to someone face to face. And the same happens, um, I guess, on a larger scale, going to another country. But also with dating, there's digital and physical spaces. Um, and it seems like the younger generations are moving largely towards digital interactions before ever meeting someone. Whereas Mm -hmm. in the past, physical spaces were much more widespread. Sure. Sure. Well, there's such a bigger, there's so many more options um, digitally. You, you, you seem to um, be really positive about meeting people digitally. Yeah. I think most of the time it's good. And um, I want us to under us listeners to understand that. Can you can you explain what's you know what what you find appealing about it? Or the nice thing about 
seeing people's online presence is you can get a sense of who they are and what they're about without having to take the time to meet someone. It's much more efficient. Um, and I think because there's so many options, especially on dating and hookup apps in cities, you are able to go through a lot of people very quickly and find someone that might be a better match. Hmm. And then once you feel like, okay, there's something here, some kind of connection or chemistry, let's meet in person and see, is that real or is it just digital? You know, that's making a lot of sense to me. I want to go back to, I think I'm getting a divorce and I'm going to start dating again. Making so much (laughs) sense to me though. Like the thing is, it's like um, when you look somebody up online, you know, like for whatever reason, somebody you're going to work with or whatever, you know, you can get a really good sense of them more than if you went on a date with them. In many, many cases, you can see their friends and family. You can see their taste, their style. You can get um, a sense of what their interests are. And dating is very, dating, in-person dating is very inefficient. That's a whole evening or that's like five hours with one person. Yeah. And can even be an expense if you go out to eat, especially now. Well, of course it's going to cost money no matter what. Yeah. True. (laughs) How long can you sit in a park for? (laughs) Not that long. (laughs) And museums aren't even free anymore. Um, Yeah. It makes really good sense. Also, it does make traveling seem much more appealing as a young single person because, like, in my day, it was sort of fun. You know, you could go, like, to a foreign country, go to a youth hostel, meet all the other kids or people, young adults in the youth hostel, maybe hook up with one or two. But this way, you can go to any city Mm -hmm. and you can just make friends and you you can just fit into the culture right away, right? Because they're not distinguishing you as a foreigner. Is that right? The I think same it, way. I think it depends yeah, uh, I mean, on the, the culture. Yeah, I mean, of course they are. Yeah. yeah, and the culture. I mean, I'm thinking of France, which is European, so Yeah, much easier different. to blend in. But if you went to, you know, um, another continent that's mm-hmm. more complicated have you been to another more have you done this in a far or another complex in a more complicated than a european situation um i don't think so oh okay good we're gonna be we're gonna be we're gonna be hearing about this <laughs> i love the sense of adventure um so do you think that having uh chronic illness has changed you and how how do you think it has? Do you mm. think it has? Yeah, it definitely has. Or your particular chronic illness. Chronic illness is a huge category. So. Yeah. I think there's a few factors of my particular case that makes it more or less challenging or has impacted me more or less. Um, one of those is that it's an invisible illness. People can't see it. Mm-hmm. So they don't think or expect that you're ill. So thankfully now I'm in a place where I don't even really think about that I have it. That's great. Um, But for many years, especially in the beginning, it took me a long time to find the right routines and medication. Mm. And I just, it was, it was much more difficult. People would ask to socialize with me. They'd ask me out for a drink 
And I knew if I went out for a drink, I would, I would be sick for the next two, three weeks. Mm. So you can't it, drink. I can now. I can do pretty much everything. Uh, but you couldn't at that point. Yeah. In the beginning, I wasn't able to eat a lot of, a lot of different foods. Um, mm-hmm. Anything that was spicy or heavy or greasy, fried, mm-hmm. anything that was processed. Um, so you'd wind up having even. to say, I can't eat, or you would have to explain something to me. It would make it more. It would I be, would just try to avoid those situations. Right. And was, drinking, like, Sometimes I knew I'd be fine, but other times I knew like I'm already feeling like I'm on the edge, and if I drink, right, I'm not going to feel right, well. Right. Um, now I'm at a point where that's not a problem. Oh, good. So I think in the beginning, socializing and dating was much more difficult in person. So I leaned more heavily into the digital, mm. and how it's changed me, chronic disease. It made me more sensitive to my own body and my own needs mm-hmm. which i think is very very important to learn in a relationship and even outside of one mm. you need a good relationship with your body it's the mm. only one you have and i think it's it's funny like um it's not like something i disclose usually on a date to someone mm-hmm. um but eventually it gets brought up or i'll tell them like oh yeah like i have this mm-hmm. but Clearly, it hasn't been a big deal because we're fine. Right. And how, how is that difficult? How do people respond? Like, is that, are you, I mean, now it seems like you're probably more comfortable, but is it, what's it like? Is that, an, does that, what's it like? <laughs> um, many people don't even know what it is. So it's a lot of explaining. Oh. Like, oh, this is, it's an autoimmune disease mm-hmm. and it mainly affects my digestive system. Um, but it is systemic, so it also affects everything else. Mm-hmm. And there's no like direct cause. It's a compounding factors that just all happen to align at the wrong time. Mm. And now it's, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes people ask about symptoms, which are not very comfortable to describe because they're mm. not pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I usually tell people, well, you can look it up if you really want to know. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. So that's probably I think in, and I'm thinking this because I've known, you know, I think I've known you for a long enough period that I think it's given you like an extra power of confidence, an extra sort of confidence since I've known you. Like, you know, like you, you do seem um, a lot, or you seem way more grounded in who you are. Absolutely. And I think that now that you've gotten past, I think wrangling with that has been a big reward for you, has had rewards for you. Do you think so? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, my 20s have mostly been me struggling, um, either financially, student loans, trying to pay those off, uh, living in a closet <laughs> and horrible jobs, horrible. Yeah. Rough jobs, you know, blood money, uh, and some tra- traumatizing relationships, uh, and being chronically ill, like all these things happening around the same time, you're kind of forced to learn lessons very quickly and to figure out who you are. Otherwise you sink or float. So I, I think all of those experiences, Experiences taught me something 
that has grounded me or made me more sure of who I am and what I want, what I like, what I don't like, which is also a great benefit of dating, why I think people should date very often, because you learn very quickly what you do and don't like, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. It makes you a better partner. Mm-hmm. And also about re- reinforcing your own boundaries, which mm, is a very, very important. common problem for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, wow. I mean, that's amazing. So, but also I think that your work is a really big part of that. It is. It's an extension of my life or right. a record of it even. Right. But it's also a way for you to take all that stuff out, put it on a physical object and then process it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's get. I mean, all that stuff is so great. So you must have gotten pretty good at like picking out who's going to make a good date for you or a good hookup or whatever. I'm you definitely. So? I'm more discerning. <laughs> How are your skills? <laughs> <laughs> you maybe you could be a matchmaker for other people. I mean, that yeah. would be a great job. <laughs> definitely aligned with what I already do. Uh, I'm definitely more discerning than I was when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, and much more attuned to red flags or traits that I know I've seen in other partners that I've had repeatedly that I know, okay, that's a sign that this isn't going to work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm a lot quicker to end things that I know or feel are not good for me. Mm -hmm. And is it easier, like less painful? Mm, I think it's less painful ending things earlier, Uh but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It still, it still hurts. You know, the thing about you, Colin, is that you have good values and you're really grounded. So that's what the thread throughout all of your, you know, experiences and your work and all that and your pro, pro and has allowed you to be as incredibly prolific as you are. So did that come from your parents, do you suppose? Or it must have come from somewhere in your background, right? Yeah, I think. My parents did a really great job. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not be as adaptable without uh, everything that they taught or the values that they instilled. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very, very good at making sure that we were focused on being hardworking um, mm. and having a lot of interest in pursuing things that we were actually interested in, doing what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. They didn't try to put us in a box too much, but I think was very good mm-hmm. for all of us. Um, I have a few siblings. That's why. How, how many of you? Uh, four total. So me Boy, and three younger. Lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're the oldest. I am. Wow. What an example you are. <laughs> <laughs> what a weirdo example. Uh, yeah, definitely what a weirdo example. example. Um, so are, are your siblings, do you think you've had influence on your siblings? Yeah, I think so. I know that uh, every time I see them, one of them will usually bring up like, oh, my friends think you're the coolest person ever. I show them your Instagram and they saw that you were in Paper Magazine. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. They definitely, Mm -hmm. we all have a very good relationship with each other. Oh, that's nice. So your parents have done it and and I'm sure they, shout out to your parents. So what did they do? Uh, My dad worked. As or still works as a, a guidance counselor in a middle or high school. Oh, there you go. Uh, and is also a, now he's a like a therapist or motivational coach for mm-hmm. sports players. So he, 
Wow. A very niche. Professional yeah. sports players? Wow. Uh, and then my mom had many jobs growing up, uh, and now she's a photographer. Oh, wow. Really? That's cool. What kind of stuff does she photograph? Um, more commercial. A lot of oh, portraits doing and family. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow, that's cool. Are, there, are your younger siblings creative? Or their pursuits ways. creative, not not like yours. Uh, one of my siblings, my sister, went to school for fashion merchandising. Oh, so, mm, yeah. Uh, but now she's moved into teaching. Mm-hmm. Did you have such an amazing sense of fashion and style and makeup and stuff like that? Did did you did you get that growing up? Did you get that from? Your family? Or? I think I was just born with it. You really were. My, yeah. yeah. My, my mom loves to tell this story that uh, when I would try to dress myself to go out of the house as like a kindergartner or even younger, she would have to hide clothes that didn't match with each other and not put them in my drawer <laughs> so that when I took out combinations of clothes, I would still match because <laughs> I would intentionally try to get the most mismatching <laughs> patterns, colors as possible. <laughs> and I think that carried over. I still wear a lot of patterns, a lot of colors now. Yeah, like very unexpected, but it works, which yeah. is really hard to do. We love that. We love that. So um, you were mentioning when you came in that you're working on a book right now. I am. And so let's hear about it. Sure. So I last summer started working on it. Um, even a little bit before that. And it's essentially, it's it's an artist book, but it's kind of a hybrid between a diary uh, or an autobiography and an artist book. So it's hundreds of images of sculptures from the last six or so years, seven years even. Hundreds. Hundreds, yeah. And they each have anecdotes or stories, mostly about dating, but sometimes about other parts of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, like why I made the piece, what this was about, mm-hmm. and here's the context or the background. Uh, so there's even reference mm-hmm. photos in the book and some screenshots of text messages. Oh, I love that. And then I a few that. people are contributing essays, which is exciting. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, like art people that you've dated or know are more art oriented. Uh, one of them is a painter. Uh, another one is a poet. Uh, and then there's a couple other people that I'm just kind yeah. of wrangling. Cool. Cool. So what do you, what do you imagine? Like, so you did have one relationship, but what do you, what do you imagine? Like having a relationship, like what would that be? What do you see it? How do you see it in your future? Like, do you imagine settling down? Like what point in your life are there things you want to accomplish? Like, what do you see in your future relationship and dating wise? Mm. I don't know. Uh, I'm very open to the possibilities, mm-hmm. but I don't have a very firm idea of who or what kind of relationship that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like to let things happen very naturally because mm-hmm. I, every person you meet is like a puzzle piece and you don't know quite how you're going to fit with them. So each relationship ends up looking a little different. But do you see yourself in like some sort of traditional monogamous relationship? Um, I don't know. I've been in both types of relationships. I usually prefer monogamy, mm-hmm. um, at least in the early years of a relationship, because I feel like that time should be spent really trying to get to know someone and to be intimate with them. Mm-hmm. And if you're seeing a lot of other people at the same time, 
that's energy that's not being put into each other. So the sensible. So sensible. Uh, and it's also, there's, especially now, there's a lot of STDs that are antibiotic mm. resistant. Mm-hmm. And because of the medication I take, mm. I'm at a little bit more of a risk to mm-hmm. getting infections of any kind. So being in a monogamous relationship is a little bit safer for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm not opposed to open relationships if mm-hmm. that seems to be what's healthy for the relationship. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see yourself as a parent? Is that something that could be a possibility for you? I would love to be a parent, (laughs) but I have a bunch of caveats. I would never do it alone, and I would only do it if a partner also wanted. Mm -hmm. And I would have to be very financially stable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you would, but you do, I mean, it's a very, obviously very real. I think you'd be a great parent. I think so too. Yeah. You would be, yeah, you would be so fun and so great. Um, so, um, what was I going to say? Do you think that, I mean, I, I love to ask this as, as from the, uh, self-proclaimed shrink point of view. So fear of intimacy, what do you think about, like, you seem really, um, comfortable with it. Do you, do you ever, do you think there's any part of you that's like, you don't want people to get to know you. Do you get aggravated when you're around the same person for like days on end? Mm. That kind of thing. My relationship with intimacy has changed a lot over time. So my early twenties and younger was not very healthy and I was very guarded and cautious um, and not very trusting. Mm -hmm. And the more I got to know people, the more I got to know myself, the more capable I was of being vulnerable and intimate with other people. And I have felt really comfortable, very powerful being vulnerable with people Mm. and having that connection to them. Mm. It's very meaningful to me. So even at times when it's difficult or you're afraid, or I've been afraid of what someone might say or how they might react to me being very open about something, it's always better to be open and to say something than to not say something and regret it later. Cause at least then you'll, you know, everything's on the same page. I can't believe this guy isn't even 30 years old and he's like so much more mature than me. This is really, <laughs> so again, this is really, this is really, this is really, I want my money back from all my therapists. Have you ever been in therapy? No, actually my Which, mom and I joke about this because everyone in my family has at one point mm-hmm. except me, mm-hmm. but we realized, Oh, my artwork is my therapy. It's how I process everything and learn. And it's even better because I get paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know how to take care of yourself. You're really self-sufficient. Oh, yeah. Very. It's, it's, it's really it's really a beautiful thing. We have uh, five minutes left. So I want to make sure that um, we get people to go. Tell us a little bit about the Java Project. That's the gallery you're working with on the show that's up right now. Yes. So... It's in Greenpoint at 252 Java Street, uh, and uh, it's a solo show. It's all it's mostly ceramic sculpture, a lot of figures. Uh, many of the figures are couples, um, and also many of the figures in the exhibition also have reference photos from my intimate life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a bunch of condom wrappers with funny, quippy sayings and cell phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the condoms are really funny. Would it tell us what some of the things that the condoms say on them? Uh, raw dog, raw's law, <laughs> <laughs> uh, motion of the ocean. Um, there, there's a lot of them that are like 
online dating or sex slang uh, or even mm-hmm. queer slang. Mm-hmm. And they're usually pretty funny. Mm-hmm. They're also fairly small. You could ha- There's plenty of room in your home for them. Agreed. And um, they can go, they should go and look at the gallery, but they can also get them on your website. Is that right? Could they yeah. Yeah. Them they can they send me a message on, on Instagram so or my website. Yeah. Yeah. Or just send them a message. I wonder if you're going to, don't bug my friend Colin too much. <laughs> okay. Um, it's colinjradcliffe.com. That's C O L I N J Radcliffe, R A D C L I F F E dot com. His Instagram is at Colin Me Maybe, which is really funny. Your Instagram is so good. Um, I mean, really, just check out the Instagram, guys, because you'll get the whole picture pretty pretty quickly. So have you gotten any feedback from anybody that you've put into your work? Do you think about that? Is that a thought that you have? Yeah, uh, it's probably a much longer conversation, but I, I usually tell the people that I've made sculptures about either before or after. Nine out of ten times, it's an opportunity for us to get closer and have more intimacy. People are very flattered when you make something about them because there's an understanding that a lot of time and energy and feeling goes into something like that, creating an artwork. Um, but there are also a couple of people that I don't tell because I no longer have any kind of relationship with them mm-hmm. or the piece is very negative mm-hmm. um, or funny or funny. funny. Yeah. Negative. They're always funny, yeah, yeah. Right. but they might not take it the right way. Right. Right. Uh, or they might take it the right way. It depends on the piece. Mm-hmm. So uh, have you ever gotten like back with anybody from something like that? Like, Started dating them again when you tell them, or no? For me, when a door is closed, it's closed. It's a chapter in your life, mm-hmm. um, and people change, but they don't change that much usually. Mm-hmm. Are most of the pieces you make are they during the relationship while you're seeing them, or before, or after? I mean, after it have to be. Uh, they're both during and after. Uh huh. Have you ever had somebody find out? about that you had made a work about them and they didn't know? Have you had that happen? Uh, no. There was there was a piece I made of an ex that was very negative. It was a little devil. Um, <laughs> I was just trying to get all my anger and all those emotions out and move on. And we had, I already blocked him on everything. Like The relationship had been done for many, many months. And I posted the piece and then got a bunch of messages from him. So he'd been watching my profile or someone sent it to him. And what were the messages like? Uh, pretty angry, but also quite funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, did you feel okay? Did it resolve any? Was it, a, you know? I mean, there wasn't anything I had to say to him at that point. Close the circle, but you didn't yeah. feel bad about it? I, mm, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Bad in that I know that this might have upset or hurt someone. 